For our confessional reading, we'll be reading from the Canons of Dort, section 5, article 10. That can be found in the Forms and Prayer 280 and in the Trinity Psalter hymnal there on 913. 280. Article 10, the ground of this assurance. Accordingly, this assurance does not derive from some private revelation beyond or outside the word, but from faith in the promises of God, which he has very plentifully revealed in his word for our comfort. From the testimony of the Holy Spirit, testifying with our spirit that we are God's children and heirs. And finally, from a serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. And if God's chosen ones in this world did not have this well-founded comfort, that the victory will be theirs and this reliable guarantee of eternal glory, they would be of all people most miserable. I invite you to turn In Holy Scripture to Galatians chapter 4, we'll be reading from 1 through 7. Our focus this evening will be on 4 through 6. So Galatians chapter 4, that can be found um, in the Bible. Galatians chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So far the reading of God's Word. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how do you know that you're adopted? See, DNA tests will show you your family history, and you can know for certain who your parents are, but that does not help us with adoption. Is it a piece of paper, a a contract between two parties, a parent showing intention of caring and raising someone who's not their own? Or... Is it the love shown by the parent to that child? Maybe more important than that piece of paper. See the actions shown toward that adopted child. Showing that child that they will love and treat them like 
their own. How does the Christian know that they are adopted into the family of God? We'll consider this evening from Scripture the following theme. The Father confirms adoption with the sending of the Spirit of His Son. We'll look at this at three points. The adoption of sons, receiving the Spirit of His Son, and the effect of receiving the Spirit of His Son. In the fullness of time, what does Paul mean when he says fullness of time? What Paul does not mean when Paul speaks of the fullness of time is some sense of cultural and political ripeness. Although we can marvel at some of the conditions of the ancient world Jesus was born into, you see the spread of the Greek language, a common tongue, the spread of Jewish synagogues and the freedom they had in practicing their own religion but also the network of Roman roads and the enforcement of Roman peace. You can see the finger of God in every aspect of the plan of redemption. But what Paul is specifically talking about here is a moment in redemptive history, a clock that started ticking way back in Genesis 3.15 with the promised offspring of Eve, a promise that would crush the head of the serpent. And we can think of the fullness of time as a promise of 3.15 being complete. All the events throughout Old Testament history look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. So we view the fullness of time as realizing the end of one age and the beginning of the next. It's a unique vantage point we live in. We can see all the events of redemptive histor- or history of redemption with 2,000 years worth of studying these events. But imagine for a moment you are in the early church struggling to realize the fullness of time. See, something new has been ushered in, but what does that mean for the old? What do the Scriptures say? Well, the Galatian church did not have the privilege of turning to a complete New Testament canon. There was a struggle in the Galatian church. There was an outside group influencing them to still abide by the ceremonial laws that Christ abolished. They struggled to understand that redemption in Jesus Christ was achieved for his people. They failed to realize redemption is accomplished and it is a secured reality. See, it was a plan of redemption that started way back and unfolded when God sent forth his Son. Paul lays out a blueprint for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. First, Paul shows us the divine nature of the Son, expressing that God sent His Son. Not an angel, not a created inferior God, but His only begotten Son. A Son that was with Him in the beginning. A Son that is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. A Son that was truly God. Not only was it essential for Jesus to be truly God, he needed to be truly human, a nature he received being born of a woman. But not any woman, but a unique woman, a virgin woman, so that he was born with all of our humanity, yet without any of our sinfulness. Because he has our human nature, he's able to help us when we are tempted. Because he understands you. Because he had a human nature. 
He understands soreness. He understands weakness. He understands hunger and he understands sadness. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. He ran the same race that you're running. Jesus Christ was not an empty shell or a mere image of humanity. He was truly man. And still retaining all of his divinity, Jesus Christ was truly God and truly man. Two natures united in one person, which made him the only person suitable for this particular work. And because Jesus is the right person for that work, he needed to be placed in the right conditions. He was born under the law. Christ had work to do. Obedience to the laws of God, he felt the total weight of it. Every burden, every command, actively doing the will of the Father as he overcame temptation, learning obedience through the things that he suffered, fulfilling the requirements of the law without ever missing a step. Well, all the while he endured the hostility of sinners and the rejection of his own. And because he achieved perfect obedience and he was without blemish, he could offer his life as a ransom. Christ sacrificed himself for our sins, a perfect sacrifice because he bore our humanity. He was truly man. See, the blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away the stain of sin committed by man. Only man can atone for what man has done. See, Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross in full humiliation. The wrath of God poured out upon the substitute. Christ was cut off. He experienced exclusion from the presence of God, isolated from the family of God because of the sins that we laid upon his back. Not because of his sins, but because of our sins. Every single one of them. And because he was fully God, the wrath of the Father was poured out upon Christ. And with the power of Christ's divinity, he was able to take the total weight of the wrath of God. He endured the total penalty of sin as our substitute. Jesus Christ's work not only redeemed us from the weight and the burden of the law, rescuing us from slavery, declaring us righteous before the face of God, and still there is another aspect. See, Jesus Christ's work brought us back into the family of God. There's a twofold result to the work of Jesus Christ. He came to redeem us, but also that we could be adopted by the Father. Redeeming us from the law only makes us right with God. It reconciles us as God's friend. And because of Adam's transgression, we were also removed. We were excluded and cast out from the family of God. But through Jesus Christ, we once again enter the family of God. Adopted by the Father, we live in the reality of what was hoped for by the Old Testament fathers. How do you fathom such an extraordinary grace? Jesus Christ reconciled slaves to be friends of God. And from friends of God, we became adopted sons of God. And if you have your Bibles open, look down and feel the joy and the comfort of the you are at the start of verse 6. See, the same encouragement the Galatian church needed to hear. 
The you are there is because of the perfect work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ did not redeem you for you to have the opportunity or a possibility or a mere chance to become a son of God. Instead, he did the work for you, so this is now your right. Jesus Christ is all you need to become a son. The condition for becoming a son is faith in Jesus Christ. It is not dependent on your work, it is not reliant on what you give, nor is it trusting in the church for you to become a son. If you have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are sons. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you are redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ, you are adopted by the Father because of the work of Christ. See, Paul lays out his argument. Jesus Christ came at the perfect time. Jesus Christ was the perfect person for the work, truly God and truly man. He entered into the right conditions to complete his work. He completed the work and achieved for us not only redeeming us, but that we may be adopted by the Father. And because of our adoption, receive the Spirit of his Son. See, Paul uses the same Greek word for sent in verse 6 as he did in verse 4, illustrating for us that God was the one doing the sending. And also, Paul shows us the divinity of the Spirit. With a Trinitarian reference, he, if something like this, if God sent his Son, it implies that God is the Father, who has a Son, Jesus Christ, who has a Spirit. So you not only did Paul explain the full divinity of Of the Spirit, he shows the divinity of all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what does the Father give to his newly adopted Son? But the Spirit of his Son. See, as it was a mission of the Son to give us the rights and status of sonship, it is the mission of the Spirit of the Son that we would experience the power of adoption. See, the Spirit of his Son is not something only experienced by the Christian spiritually elite. It is not for the most pious of Christians. This is the birthright of every Christian. From the weakest to the most mature. From the newest profession Christian to the oldest. All receive their right as sons. They receive the Spirit of the Son. The Spirit comes to us on behalf of Jesus Christ and apply the work of Christ. And where does he put it into our hearts? See, the heart is the best place for this gracious gift. Why? Because the heart is the seat of the inner life of man. It controls the totality of our nature. It is the core and center of man's being. And Scripture reminds us, from the heart one believes. We are to walk in God's ways to love him and serve him with all of our heart. And as water reflects man's face, so the heart of man reflects the man. And to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. But remember, our spring has been poisoned. The heart is is deceitful and desperately sick, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil. 
That what comes from the mouth proceeds from the heart, for out of the heart comes sin. The heart of man is darkened because of sin. And from the heart, the springs of life do not flow. Rather, it's a muddy, putrid, raging river of death, bondage, and slavery. Filled with the desire to only serve yourself, that me, myself, and I. Wanting only what is pleasing to you, not wanting anything to do with the kingdom of God, nor King Jesus who is seated on this throne. We can think of back to Psalm, what about the Psalms from where does the fool claim that there is no God? It's from his heart. See, doubt arises from man's heart. When Jesus first appeared to his disciples as a resurrection, he asked, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? But the Father sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart, not as a companion to walk alongside you in this journey, or as an external garment you wear, like the tassels on the garment of the Old Testament fathers, reminding you that, of the commandments of the Lord. The Father sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart. He lives in you, in the heart of you, the command center of your heart, speaking peace and assurance that we are the children of God. The Spirit lets our hearts not be troubled and reminds us that we are adopted and that we are children of God. The heart was the perfect place to put the Spirit of His Son, making sure the Spirit of peace and assurance flows freely from our hearts, assuring us that we are adopted and that we are sons. The Spirit of His Son is such a wonderful gift from the Father a pledge and a guarantee that provides us with peace and insurance of our adoption into the family of God. What effect does this receiving the Spirit have on a newly adopted son? We see that the Spirit cries. Paul uses the same verb in verse 6 as he does in Romans 8, 15, where it reads, Will you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And although Romans 8.15, we read that the believer is the one who cries, in Galatians 4.6, the Spirit is the one doing the crying. Now, Sinclair Ferguson helps us interpret what the text is saying. He writes, and I quote, There is a coordinated witness of the believer in the Spirit. One cry with two sources. The consciousness of the believer and the ministry of the Spirit. And this is something that we can be thankful for because the Spirit cries for us in our weakness. The Spirit can cry out of the fullness of His eternal relationship with the Father. In doing so, He cries, Abba, Father. See, there's an intensity to the cry. It's a roaring cry, a roaring cry of passion and of joy. An expression of the thrill of redemption, the delight of being adopted. But also, There's an intimacy to the cry, indicated by Abba Father. See, the Spirit is not loud and passionate because He's crying into an abyss, hoping that someone will hear Him. He's not crying to the Father. No, He's crying to the Father. It's a cry used for the intimacy of an inner family circle, only uttered by those who have the Spirit 
of the Son. And this cry is instinctual. It is the cry of that trustful expectation, knowing that the Father hears the cry and that there's no other name to be called upon. In our hearts, the Spirit of it, in our hearts, with the Spirit of a Son, the Spirit passionately and with intimacy cries, Abba, Father. The outpouring of the Spirit of His Son into our hearts also affects us. The Spirit of His Son is our assurance. It's a seal that no one can break. In our trials and temptations, the world accuses us and as Satan assails us. And in our weakness, the Spirit cries in fullness, Abba, Father. A cry that penetrates the ear of the Father. What assurance that we can have because of the fullness of the Spirit's cry. See, the Father hears the cry of the Spirit of His Son. It's not rebounding off deaf ears or an ineffective plea to a disinterested Father, but a cry that resonates all the way to the throne room of God. And having been adopted by the Father and having received the Spirit of His Son, we'll experience the same pattern that the Son experienced. A pattern of suffering that leads to glory. We will learn obedience to the things that we suffer because we are sons. God will treat us as sons. See, if you're an illegitimate child, you're left without discipline. So discipline should be our expectation and not a surprise. We should expect discipline that's tailored to our weakness and to our struggles And at time, nobody likes being disciplined because it's painful. It's embarrassing making repeated mistakes. It's hard trying to learn new lessons. Especially while the world laughs at you. While your flesh resists you. And while Satan discourages you. But we can think of our trials through discipline as a badge of our adoption. Because if we had no discipline, we would be illegitimate and not true sons. But we are sons. And our discipline conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. That we might share in His holiness. Remember, suffering is only for a short time when we compare it to the length of time that we'll spend in glory. But because we are sons, we will experience the same fate as Jesus Christ, where our suffering ends, and with the family of God, we will see the full glory of the Son and enjoy fellowship with the family of God for all of eternity. See, lastly, with the Spirit of the Son, we will experience liberty. No longer slaves cast down by law's burdens, we have freedom in our service. Every day is a renewed opportunity to serve God. See, we're not working for results, trying to work ourselves out of bondage. We get the joy of working, the good pleasure of working for Jesus Christ. We get to be a part of a kingdom work. We get to work for the family of God. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are sons. Redeemed, 
by Jesus Christ, adopted by the Father, and had received the Spirit of His Son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. May we live out of the certainty of our redemption in Jesus Christ and the peace and assurance of our sonship. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for such a wonderful gift of the Spirit of your Son, that he assures us and gives us peace that we have been adopted by you and now live not as a slave or as a servant, but as a free child of the living God. We thank you for such a wonderful privilege. May we live out this week knowing that we are adopted and redeemed by Christ. Amen.